every military engagement by leaders of Israel, both effort and providence are required. A truly great Jewish leader must see this. And if there was anyone who understood this in the modern age, it was Begin. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 114, The Arrows and Osirak. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In June of 1981, as Israel was about to begin the holiday of Shavuot, Menachem Begin informed the media that Israel had just engaged in an astonishing operation involving amazing intelligence and incredible military maneuvers. The destruction by the Israeli Air Force of the Osirak nuclear reactor outside Baghdad As I recounted in an article about the Osirak operation in commentary, the mission had seemed impossible, flying a total of 2,000 miles without the ability to refuel. Even those planning the operation had assumed it likely that not all the pilots would survive. In his biography of Begin, Avi Shilon describes how the Prime Minister, when all returned safely, began what unexpectedly became a difficult task, announcing what had occurred to the world. Begin felt that only if Israel publicly claimed responsibility would the attack serve as a future deterrent to Israel's enemies. But the problem was that the operation was so unexpected that even after it was announced, people didn't believe it. Shilon writes, quote, The prime minister, unlike most of his cabinet colleagues, who feared the consequences of officially accepting responsibility, insisted that an official announcement must be made. He explained that the operation's success would strengthen Israel's deterrence capability and added that the IDF did not operate like a thief in the night. In the meantime, he withdrew to draft the announcement. At the end of the announcement, he noted, we shall not allow our enemies to develop weapons of mass destruction against our people. This declaration became known as the Begin Doctrine, according to which Israel would not allow any Arab nation to acquire nuclear arms. Its principles have been adopted by all Israeli governments since. Only the next day, after Israel's operation was reported on Jordanian radio, did Begin instruct his office staff to announce it on Israeli state radio, and he waited for it to be broadcast. End quote. Shilon then describes the prime minister waiting in vain for the Israeli broadcast agency to bring the news to the public. Quote, Much to his surprise, programming went on as usual. Was the state radio not aware of the historic importance of the operation? In fact, the news editors at the IBA did not believe what they had heard. Uri Porat, the new communications advisor to the prime minister, phoned to find out what was holding up the announcement. But since his voice was unfamiliar to the news editors, they were convinced that it was a hoax. Finally, journalist Emmanuel Halper and Begin's nephew decided to call his uncle, and thus, in an intimate conversation between Begin family members, the announcement that would cause a furor throughout the world came to light. But it was broadcast of all places in a news flash on Radio 3, the IBA's pop music station, at 3.30 p.m., and Begin had to wait yet another half hour to hear it in an official IBA newscast, end quote. Only in Israel, ladies and gentlemen, an earth-shattering event announced on a pop station and ignored elsewhere until confirmed by the impeccable source that is Mishpacha, family, which announced to the world the birth of the Begin Doctrine that no enemy of Israel be allowed to acquire nuclear weapons and that Israel would act on its own if necessary to ensure that this remains the case. But the truth is that there is another Begin Doctrine, or perhaps that there is more to the original Begin Doctrine that meets the eye. It encompasses not only military alacrity, but also faith. And an earlier expression of this doctrine can perhaps be found in one of the final pronouncements of Elisha the prophet. As we have discussed, a new royal house rose in the northern kingdom of Israel, fathered by the general Yehu, 
who destroyed the entire family of Ahav. The destruction of Ahav's house was divinely declared as a punishment for paganism, but idolatry does not disappear under Yehu's dynasty. 2 Kings chapter 13 In the third and twentieth year of Yoash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Yehuda, Yehoahaz, the son of Yehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria and reigned seventeen years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Yeravam, the son of Nevat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Chazael, king of Aram, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Chazael, all their days. And Yehoahaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Aram oppressed them. Thus a theme appears that the Bible will emphasize, that God at this point will allow and providentially direct the military salvation of northern Israel, even though it doesn't deserve it. Yoachah's ruler of the northern kingdom of Israel dies and is succeeded by his son Yoash. It is at this point that Elisha himself prepares to leave this world. We have discussed how Elisha in many ways mimics his mentor's miracles. And yet, unlike the otherworldly Elijah, Elisha will pass away like every other human being. Verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Yoash the king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Aram, for thou shalt smite the Aramites in Afek till thou have consumed them. So the Bible tells us, at this point, the ritual of the arrows appears to be a sign, a guarantee of the grace of God, of divine salvation. But to this, Elisha then adds something, telling the king to strike the ground with arrows. Verse 18, And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, Thou shouldst have smitten five or six times. Then thou wouldst have smitten Aram till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Aram but three times. What is going on here? In an excellent lecture on this chapter, Rabbi Alex Israel notes two very different understandings of this enigmatic story. There is that of the mystically-minded medieval Nachmanides, Moshe ben Nachman, known as Ramban, who sees something more mechanistic here, where the king stands in place of the ailing prophet, performing a ritual on behalf of the future of the people. As Rabbi Israel puts it, quote, Ramban perceives prophetic symbolic drama as a means of transforming God's will from a potential decree to the realm of action. He believes that the acts of the prophet will have a mechanical effect determining future events. Elisha's laying of hands upon the king instills the prophet's aura or authority into the figurative act, and the precise performance of the act is critical. A mistake in the choreography engenders a flaw in the outcome, end quote. On the other hand, another medieval interpretation, that of Joseph ibn Kaspi, sees the king's failure to strike the ground as more of a sign of his lack of enthusiasm. Whereas Joseph ibn Kaspi writes, quote, If the king had struck several times as the man of God intended, this would demonstrate his success in battle, for it would reveal his enthusiasm and determination. His mood regarding the war, and when he failed to do this, it highlighted his tepid enthusiasm and his foolishness. It was this that angered the prophet, end quote. 
But Rabbi Alex Israel himself offers another very interesting approach with elements of the earlier interpretations. The two different parts of Elisha's instructions reflect different themes. The shooting of the arrow is a sign of God's protection. The smiting with the arrows on the ground reflects the requirement that the king himself engage with alacrity against the enemy. As Rabbi Israel puts it, quote, in the first segment, the prophet enacts a scene with a specific series of actions, very carefully instructed and completely fulfilled. Only one arrow is fired. There is not much that can go wrong. The prophet waits patiently at each stage to ensure that his instructions are followed. In this instance, the arrow fired in the eastern direction is symbolic of God's decision to turn the tables and commence the process of Aram's decline. This segment involves the laying of the prophet's hands upon the arrow, and it seems to express the force of a divine communication. The message here is the announcement to the king that he can prepare for better times. But the second segment allows more room for the king's initiative. The instruction by the prophet is general, not specific. In all the activities performed by the king, the prophet is inactive. It may be that this scene is reflective of the human response and involvement in God's plan. It seeks to expose the inner attitude and determination of the king. Here the question is the extent to which man will play his role in God's drama. In this instance, the king's half-hearted response irritates the prophet as an insufficient reaction to God's pronouncement, end quote. In other words, in every military engagement by leaders of Israel, both effort and providence are required. A truly great Jewish leader must see this. And if there was anyone who understood this in the modern age, it was Begin. For the prime minister, was the excess of the assault on Osirak a strategic achievement, or was it a miracle? As I noted in commentary for the prime minister, it was both. Yehuda Avner, in his book The Prime Ministers, describes the visit of the American Jewish leader Max Fisher to Menachem Begin after the operation. Begin spoke to Fisher, responding to the criticism of the American defense minister, Caspar Weinberger. Avner writes, beginning with Begin's words, quote, Hasn't Mr. Weinberger heard of the one and a half million Jewish children who were thrown into the gas chambers and choked to death with Zyklon B gas? What greater act of self-defense could there be than to destroy Saddam Hussein's nuclear potential that was intended to bring Israel to its knees, slaughter our people, vaporize our infrastructure, destroy our nation, our country, our very existence? Max Fisher simply sat, eyes veiled, a picture of solidity and strength. Gently he probed, You're a man of belief, are you not? The question so surprised Begin, it doused his fury. He answered, If by that you mean am I a mystic, then the answer is no. But am I a believer? Do I believe in Elokei Yisrael, the God of Israel? The answer is a categorical yes. How else to account for our success in accomplishing the virtually impossible? Every conceivable type of enemy weaponry was arraigned against our pilots when they flew in and out of Baghdad. They had to face anti-aircraft guns, ground-to-air missiles, fighter planes, all there to defend Osirak. Yet not a one touched us. Only by the grace of God could we have succeeded in that mission. The reason I ask, said Fisher in a slow manner, is because the president is also a devout man, and because of his innate commitment to Israel, I think you and he will eventually get along just fine once you get to know each other. End quote. So Avner writes, and Fisher here refers to Ronald Reagan. Begin thus said to Fisher, Only by the grace of God could Israel have succeeded in such a mission. This is indeed the full Begin doctrine, in all its complexity and depth. And of all the images in the Bible, it is perhaps the episode of the arrows, the final prophecy of Elisha, the man of God's instruction to the leader of Israel, that captures Begin's worldview. Shoot arrows that are guided providentially by God, but also highlight 
as a leader, your own efforts, your own alacrity, your own readiness to act to defend your people against the enemies of Israel. The words of Elisha captures the Begin doctrine in full. Act to protect your country from evil, but also know as you do so that you rely on God. Engage your military, but also pray for miracles. Begin was essentially arguing that Israel would not be caught napping at risk from its enemies. But he also believed that if Israel avoided somnolescence, then they would also have the right to pray to the God of Israel, who, according to the book of Psalms, is the protector of Israel that neither slumbers nor sleeps. Thousands of years ago, a king of Israel was ordered to shoot an arrow, a sign of God's grace. But he was also ordered to highlight his own willingness to engage the enemy. Thousands of years later, a leader in the state of Israel ordered the arrows of Israeli planes, the missiles of Israeli planes, to aim at an enemy of Israel, thereby reflecting his own alacrity and seeking the protection of his people. But this leader's greatness was also made manifest in his humility, seeing a miracle in military maneuvers and finding in an operation that he oversaw a source of gratitude to God. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.